I had to get the like the first part of the song underway. You don't have to play the whole song. <laughs> oh, anybody who knows that song and knows television knows that that is that is what we were greeted with every single week when we sat there Saturday nights, at least in the United States, and just grabbed your loved one and sat there for an hour to watch China Beach and just weep your eyes out at the end. How come you stayed home to watch that on a Saturday night and you're married and I went out on a Saturday night and I'm single? I, I don't know. I, uh, I watched that and, and Twin Peaks. That was, my, that was my Saturday night. It was Twin Peaks. The, the stupid Western thing with the, uh, the Baldwin brother Rough Riders or whatever that was called, the Wild Riders. I can't remember. That was the other, that was the other ABC entry that, uh, in that evening. The Young never, Indiana Jones Chronicles? Yeah, whatever it was. <laughs> the young, ri- young Riders, whatever it was, whatever they called it. Uh, the Rip Roaring Riders. Uh, but, you know, China Beach... 25 years old, by the way. This is a 25-year-old series now. I, 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 here I've been waiting for this for so many years, and I'm thinking, 25 years old? That show is 25 years old? 25 years before China Beach is like 1963. This is amazing. Wait a so, second. Is that one of those, those stupid analogies you always do? That I always do, like, yes. I just slipped like one in. 20, like, the difference between yes. 19, 2013 and... 1983 is the same difference between The Godfather and Star yes, Wars. Yes, uh, I what just does slipped, that mean? I, I just it's, slipped it's, one in. It has no impact. I know. Nobody can wrap their head anyway, around what that means. China Beach is one of those shows, and WKRP is one of the last hand. Never liked that one. Never liked WKRP. Oh, my gosh. Don't tell that to Rotman. He'll, he'll, he'll kill you. I know. Never liked that. Uh, that's my favorite sitcom of all time, by the really? way. Really? Yeah. WKRP. Wow. I laughed deliriously every week at that. Mostly at Johnny Fever. It's, just, it's all a Howard Hessman thing. Um, this is Earl. He's been shot. Uh, no, China Beach, of course, is, is one of the la- last holdouts, has been for so many years, because there were so many l- music licensing issues. And it's fascinating to, to find out about that, because uh, I had a chance to talk to Robert Picardo, who played Dr. Uh, Dick Richard on the show. Dr. Who? Dick Richard. Oh. And um, uh, I talked to Robert Picardo, and I'm going to play that interview uh, in just a moment. It's terrific. Uh, you know, he's just thrilled, obviously, that... Uh, China Beach is out on DVD, finally, as am I. And uh, that is how I am beginning the show today, whether Mark likes it or not. Here, Mark, in front of you and in front of uh, the world, this is the complete China Beach. Available from Time Life, uh, only from Time Life. It is an exclusive uh, Time Life deal. You're not going to get this in retail stores. And uh, eventually they'll release the individual seasons later this fall. But for now, if you're a diehard, you want all 62 episodes on 21 DVDs with 10 hours of amazing bonus features in this fantastic box set. I sound like a commercial, don't I? Uh, you know what? I'm going to be quiet and let you go raps, rap. What? What am I saying? You want, I'm, I'm going to let you uh, wrap wax this. nostalgically this. about and China Beach, which, by here. the way, not on Blu-ray, sucker. You know what? It's okay. Uh, yeah, it is, because the show is just so damn great. Here's the uh, the special booklet, Tales from the Five and Dime. And it's a nice little full-color booklet with pictures of Dana Delaney, who is ageless, and uh, you know Robert Picardo, who now is bald. And uh, everybody else looks pretty damn great. I mean, you know, you see them uh, then and now, and uh, there you go. And we have some nice little... Uh, 
little typewritten and handwritten stuff. It's you know, it's it's a thing. It's a thing that they can say is an extra. The ten hours of bonus material is the is the real goody here. It's just fantastic. I have been. And it's a nice box, Mark. Check this out. It's a little little magnetic thing that opens right, and you got it the dog, got the dog, dog tags. tags on it. Yeah. By the way. Well, they are plastic dog tags, but they're like kind of like uh, aluminum-y, decent yeah, dog no, tags. Yeah, no, no, th- it's cool. They're really cool. Um, I have been steadily working my way through the the, uh, the episodes. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm into the uh, second season now. This is what I do at night, by the way. When, when the baby's uh, going, going to sleep, I sit there with my laptop, and I just pop China Beach in, and I just watch it on the laptop. Babies. Oh, you know, it's it, the, one of the fascinating things about a show... First of all, amazing, brilliant. The, you go get it. There's no reason not to get this. It is the greatest television series of all time, in my humble opinion. And uh, it, it just, I, I, I still sit there and cry. I want to see if it still had the same emotional impact on me as it used to. And, you know, the, the pilot is really interesting. Um, like any other television show, and you know this, t- TV series don't sort of, they don't really hit their stride until they've kind of, the, the ca- actors have figured out the characters on a week-to-week basis and the writers have figured out the actors. And, you know, it takes a little while with a TV series, a weekly series, for everything to really get into sync. And this was the case with Star Trek as well, right? I mean, uh, you know, you, you look at uh, Where No Man Has Gone Before, that's like... That, that looks nothing like what Star Trek did later. You know, Spock isn't at all what he is, and, you know, the uniforms are weird. And so everything kind of grinds up to, uh, it eventually gets up to speed. And so I'm watching the pilot from China Beach, and I'm thinking, okay, it's, you know, a little bit mechanical. It fe- the pilot feels like they're, they're, I'm, they're setting everything up. I get it. Okay, this is who this person is, and you're telling me this, and you're telling me this. And it feels very expository. But I'll tell you, by the end of that pilot, it's, uh, you know, it was a two-hour pilot minus commercials. It's about an hour and a half on the, uh, on the set. By the end of that thing, I was crying like a baby again. It just, it, it just it really ramped up in a beautiful way. What's really interesting about the show, a lot of characters came in in the second season. A lot of the really popular characters came in in the second season. Um, you know when that show really catches fire? When it really catches fire is when Mimi Leader comes on board in the second season as a producer and a director. I, I didn't know she was even a uh, director because I like her. She's terrific. Well, that was what really kind of made her. Mimi Leader came on, and then, and then she and um, uh, John Wells and some of the others, they segued from the end of China Beach into ER. ER basically is kind of like the, uh, the child of China Beach. I mean, ER's first season came right on the heels of uh, China Beach's uh, last season. They all just, they're like, well, let's do another medical show. You know, Vietnam, contemporary, we, we, we do this. We know how to do the, the, you know, the scenes and the, so, the whole deal. Let's just, uh, let's just kind of transition over to that. And so Mimi Leader and John Wells and a lot of the other people, they literally did a sideways transition. So um, it, it's, it, it, honestly, it is just Mimi Leader brings an energy to that show that just, bam, it was, it, then it was home. It was really beautiful. Well, she, she brought an energy to her, unfortunately, short film career. I know. She's done nothing but TV now she for the last bizarre. five or six years. There's really no reason why she... Sh- I mean, considering all the other people who... who it's funny because, like, Mimi Leader, she seemed like this, like, over-amped super action director. But if you compare her now to what's out in 2013... Oh, gosh. Now it seems like uh, it's my dinner with Andre, Mimi Deep, Deep, Im- Deep Impact is a, is a, is a pay-on to humanity and humanism. Compared to uh, what we Com- see now. Yeah, compared to Transformers or whatever else. Um, all right. So, anyway, China Beach... 
absolutely fantastic. The uh, the 10 hours of extras, I have not worked my way through all of those yet either. It's a lot of material. I've just been watching mostly the shows. But you know what? It really is. There's just some wonderful stuff here. It is uh, all, If you love the show, anything behind the scenes on how the show was put together is just, it's like manna from heaven, man. This is just, I've been waiting for this for so long. I haven't seen a movie that has made me feel like this in a long time. The one thing I will say, as I'm going to be honest in the review, they didn't clean the stuff up as well as I, uh, I'd hoped they would. Really? No, they didn't. It, there's like there's like debris and dirt on the film, and uh, yeah, the elements that they before they transferred them, they just did not do a really great cleanup job. So I'm hoping that before this eventually ends up on Blu-ray, that uh, they kind of go back and they actually because they're going to have to, you know, th- all of these transfers, these are all standard def transfers. This isn't high def stuff. So I'm assuming that they're just using the original masters that they had for broadcast. So before it goes to Blu-ray, they're going to have to actually do a high-def master of it. So I'm hoping that in that process, they sit down and they go, let's spend a little bit of money and clean this up. I don't know. Uh, They may not. It may not ever be on Blu-ray. I can't imagine it being on Blu-ray. Because first of all, they have to clean it up. And second of all, they have to transfer it to Blu-ray. Then they'd have to redo all the packaging because Blu-rays are smaller. Yeah. If if, If it sells really well. I mean, if there's suddenly this huge explosion of Digicon's listeners who all go out and buy China Beach on DVD, maybe they'll do that. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Because, all right. You know, that's well, could have What? <laughs> so, uh, without further ado, uh, uh, so that we can get to other stuff, I want everybody to listen to my interview with Robert Picardo. So, we're going to inundate you with China Beachness right here at the top of the show, and after that, we're going to get back to DVDs, ladies and gentlemen. Robert Picardo. We are here talking with uh, Robert Picardo of China Beach and many, many other great movies and television series. But in particular here, we're talking about China Beach because this is a legendary moment, China Beach, after many, many years of, uh, of being the most requested television series, not on DVD. It's finally coming out. And Robert, did you ever really imagine that this day would come? Because it, it was becoming a lost series for a lot of people. I, I had given up, frankly. The producer had lunch with me in, I think, 2005. And that was John Sacred Young? Yes, and told me that, that he thought it was going to come out then, that, they had, that they had, somebody had decided to you know, invest the money and secure the music rights. And it was going to come out for the 20th anniversary, I guess, for the end of the Vietnam War, which would have been, uh, which of course was 1975. So I believe it was 2005 he told me it was coming out. So... After that, uh, I had given up, but um, in just in time for the 25th anniversary of our premiere, which of course was fall of 1988, um, Time Life has invested the money and the time and the lawyers and all that and, and cleared, uh, gosh, I think it's 286 original songs from that era that, you know, were in the soundtrack, 268, I think. Is uh, the number that I have written down here, and that includes, you know, classics by the the Supremes, our our title song, Reflections, but also the Four Tops, the Temptations, Janis Joplin, Aretha Franklin, all this great '60s music. Well, that's and that's what's so wonderful because a lot of other shows that have run into the same problem with far fewer songs uh, simply swapped out music. And exactly, I can't which imagine. is not fair to the. I mean. No. I mean, to be dead on honest, they uh, they told me. I mean, they're so perfect in their. They there were sixteen songs that they couldn't clear. Now I I calculated that means that ninety four point four percent 
<laughs> yeah. 16 out of 284 total represents 94.4% of the exact original music. And then they told me that, for example, well, we couldn't get the Jimi Hendrix all along the Watchtower, so we used the Bob Dylan all along the Watchtower, the guy who wrote it. So in other words, they, didn't, they also didn't, the, the few that are not dead on exactly what you heard originally have been so meticulously and carefully replaced with something that is of equal caliber. Brilliant. So they, they really worked hard and spent a million dollars doing this. So it's nice to see it done right. I have They sent me my own preview set yesterday. It's gorgeous. The packaging is gorgeous. There are 10 hours of bonus features. They even have my home movies <laughs> that I made behind the scenes the last night we shot on China Beach out at the set. Um, I went around with a video camera I got because, you know, back then you had your first child. You bought a video camera. Yeah. And I went and shot some behind-the-scenes stuff. So my <clears throat> footage, uh, John Young, the producer, had shot some of his own. That's the only stuff we have from back in the day, you know, which is kind of cool to see it, uh, you know, to see that used as well in the bonus features. They, they asked me and Dana Delaney and a few other people to write liner notes for this. So I have a, I think I wrote the liner notes for season three. So there's all sorts of things that. In addition to the show that you remember and love, there's a lot of cool bonus stuff, too, including your souvenir China Beach dog tags, which are on the oh, outside great. of the box. So they, they really did it, did it up nice. Well, I, and, and I kid you not, this, for, for, you know, I've been doing this podcast with my partner for years and years and years, and um, at, at least every two or three months I have bemoaned the absence of China Beach on DVD because I kid you not, it's my favorite television series of all time. Oh, my gosh. And well, that's, a, that's an honor, and, and I don't have to sell you on it then. You, you don't. I mean, <laughs> I, would, I remember just sitting there on Saturday nights watching television, and it was a, it was a perfect lineup because Twin Peaks was there as well in the lineup uh, on ABC, and that was my – I didn't go out Saturday nights. And I remember just sitting there and, and being amazed at how China Beach could make me cry every single episode. I just sat there in tears at the end of every episode. And it was, television doesn't do that to you. You know, television leaves you with a wow or some other emotion, but it doesn't go that deep. That's supposed to be for movies. Could you talk just for a second about what you think it is? Because I know so many other people who had the same reaction. What was it that made China Beach so emotionally resonant? Was it the fact that it was dealing with Vietnam? Was it the characters? What, what do you think drove the emotional power of the show? Uh, it's a great question. I think it's, a, uh, it's obviously a combination of those things. It was a very emotionally charged era. That was, a, as you know, our country's most divisive war. Um, I, I, I was a freshman in college, I guess, the last year of the draft, and I pulled a high enough number so that it was not, you know, but the guy next door to me pulled number one. So he, he immediately had to leave college to either uh, enlist, uh, I mean, either had to, to join the National Guard or go to Vietnam. That was the choice. So there was a certain, and, and because Vietnam was a very unpopular war, and, uh, and we made a, you know, as a country, we made a tragic error back then, which was to blame the soldiers that were coming home from that, you know, frightening, dangerous war. We blamed them for the policy that had us there, which is a, which is a tragedy, a, a national tragedy that I, that I think we've learned as a country to never repeat. I yeah. hope we have. Yeah. 
um, regardless of what you feel about the Iraq war and whether we went there, you know, whether we should have fought that war or not, the good news is that we have learned the lesson and we, can, we applaud and congratulate and thank uh, those who served because they're, putting, they're the ones that are going out and putting their lives in danger. They're often coming back with grave physical or emotional wounds. Yeah. And they deserve they deserve to be thanked regardless of whether or not you feel the war should have been fought. And and uh so so I think that part of the those open wounds that are left from Vietnam to lose over fifty thousand uh fifty thousand Americans yeah. there, um and to have it have dragged on so long to discover at different points that our country that our government had lied to us, that the whole war was predicated on, you know, the Gulf of Tonkin resolution was basically a made-up event. So there were all sorts of things that w- were coming out um, and have come out since then that make it even more kind of complicated to un- to unravel and figure out. But nonetheless, to get back to your original question, China Beach, it was it was people you know, clinging together and working together and depending on each other in such dire circumstances. And again, we didn't focus on the fighting of the war. We focused on the the caregivers and the the people that were there trying to save lives, not take them, you know, the the soldiers, the, I mean, the, the nurses, the doctors, the USO people trying to keep spirits up and bodies together. So I, 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 I think that the you know it's just a great drama of camaraderie and interdependence between humans under extreme circumstances. I think that's beautifully put. You know, I the characters gripped me immediately, and I remember some people saying, uh, "Isn't it just like Mash, except not funny?" And I said, "No, no, it's it's not. It's uh, it's got a level of production value you can't even believe that they're doing on television. It's 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 period. It's." jungle it's it's ambitious on a level that uh, right. is just mind boggling and Helico- helicopters helicopters and yeah i mean and, it's it's really it's like an intimate drama oh but with helicopters and with hundreds of extras and i even pointed out to people <laughs> that if you like er there would be no er if it weren't for china beach yeah. uh, so you, you know, know it, that there was a direct absolutely yeah, yeah john, john wells, wells went went from one to the other so, you know, let's talk just for a second about your character, because um, one thing that I found so compelling was that the characters all worked on different emotional uh, arcs. You know, Colleen McMurphy, everything was on the surface. Uh, Mark Helgenberger, KC, it was all just shut down and, and frozen cold in some back storage locker of her mind. You were a little bit of, of each. There was something compassionate yet cynical, angry yet sometimes joyous, and and you you're you know Dr. Dick Richard, which is a fascinating name in addition to everything else, uh, just a guy you could never quite figure out, and that made the show so compelling, and you were so unpredictable and interesting every episode. Uh, you never knew if you were if you were going to crack a joke on the operating table, or if you were going to lose it, or if you were going to you know finally give in to your feelings for Colleen. It, it was it was you were a wild card. Now that's great for the viewer, but as an actor, is that the kind of challenge that you embrace, or is that something that that makes you scratch your head every week? Oh no, of course I. We 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 thrive on getting a role that's that layered, uh, complicated, interesting. I. I love the fact that when you first meet Dr. Richard, he seems he's so kind of full of himself, 
you know, uh, that he seems to be he seems to be living this his own private joke that only he really finds funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, the way he's pinching all the women's butts in the pilot. I mean, he's very much a product of the 50s and early, the pre-Kennedy assassination. You know, he's a he's you can see him as a sort of a privileged golf playing country club doctor with a trophy wife and a couple of young kids who's the world is his oyster and suddenly it ain't anymore and he and he gets sent away and in in becoming a better man he part of it is losing everything that was precious to him when he left home you know he lose while he's gone his wife has an affair divorces him his whole life falls apart at home and that makes him ultimately a better a better guy but he, you're right. He's, he was cynical. He had a very kind of a, uh, you know, gallows sense of humor, and and he often was said one thing and meant something else. I I remember saying to one of the directors who hadn't done our show before, I said, you know, if you don't, <laughs> I rarely say what I mean. So if you don't <laughs> shoot, if you don't shoot me close enough to see my eyes, see what's going on in my eyes, and you, you're only gonna, you're only gonna take the face value of what I say and not see what I really meant. You know, because we had one of the, we had an old school director who was shooting everything in a lot of masters shots and all that from a great distance. And China Beach, you know, was a performance and a nuance show, and and we we it, it had to be the stories were told by looking into the characters souls as much as seeing them walk around so um and because it was a big picture you know because it had a lot of big deep background we had a great set we had the helicopters i think some of the directors who weren't used to our show or hadn't done maybe done their homework they had to come in and realize wait a minute i'm shooting a i'm shooting a very intimate drama where i really need to see into the characters but i'm shooting it against this incredible big picture backdrop so that kind of, you know, that kind of a challenge, I think, is what made the show great, but I think it, it made it a different kind of show and made us attract a lot of really great uh, directors. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, the thing that amazes me, and, and we'll kind of try to bring this to a close, uh, is that everyone always used to say, well, and you have certainly some experience, obviously, with the Star Trek world as well. You know, the original Star Trek series, uh, oh, good grief, uh, you know, 79 episodes. It was so short and yet so so popular. And China Beach, even fewer episodes, 62 episodes, and it has, it has evolved this incredible following and this, this faithful, this loyalty among, among fans. Uh, I, I can't think of any other show, possibly, uh, you know, maybe Gilligan's Island or some comedies that, that were short-lived, but I can't think of anything else that has generated so much love with so few episodes, um, and for that I thank you. you know, well, you know, I, I, uh, I, I remember bemoaning back in the day when when China Beach would sort of uh, obviously Dana Dana won the Emmy for Best Actress, well deserved twice. Marg won Best Supporting Actress once, but back then we were opposite a show called uh, L.A. Law, yeah. and. And not all of the male actors on China Beach were ignored, and all of the Emmy nominations went to L.A. Law because it was very high up in the ratings, right? But, and I'm sure L.A. Law long ago came across, came out on DVD box set. But oh, my yeah. question is simply, were they clamoring 
and calling out for L.A. Law to come on DVD as much as they were for China I, Beach. I, absolutely even, not. Even though it was much more successful in its day, that show seems completely dated now, yeah. if you watch it. seems completely like an old television show, whereas China Beach, which was always a period piece and always out of time, seems fresh and new. So. Where am, uh, where can people get China Beach? Uh, obviously, they're not going to walk into a retail store and find it because it's a time uh, special release. It is a special release. I mean, eventually, in the, come the fall, I think yeah. they'll roll it out season by season. But the deluxe uh, complete series DVD is available only online presently at uh, ChinaBeachOnDVD.com, or you can go to RobertPicardo.com if you know how to spell my name. And... Uh, and it'll be uh, exclusively available online uh, now and through through the summer and into the fall. So if you're, this is the way to get it now. And then eventually it'll come out season by season. Brilliant. Well, Robert Picardo, thank you so so much. It has been a pleasure, and uh, I'm supposed to receive my set uh, tomorrow. So I'm I'm looking forward to marathoning through every episode as, as soon as I get it. Well, thank you, Wade. It's nice to talk to someone who really has been waiting, uh, like like those of us who worked on it, to see. Well, I, I have. We're we're uh, there's there's more than a few of us. I think they're all going to crawl out of the woodwork, and I think Time Life will be very gratified at the way the sales will uh, will will pop up. Oh well, thank you very much. Pleasure thank you, Robert. Thanks for talking to us. And of course, since that time, I did in fact receive the set, and I have been plowing my way through it and uh, loving every second of it. Cannot wait until I get to the series finale, which is one of the most powerful things I've ever seen on television. Series finale, just spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. So congratulations to everyone, Dana Delaney, uh, Robert Picardo, John Sacred Young, the amazing creator of the show, along with William Broyles Jr., who, uh, who just was, you know, that invaluable. He's like the go-to Vietnam guy, Broyles, you know. He, he really actually is. went on to a very good uh, film career. He really has. And didn't, didn't uh, he write... Um, Mark Helgenberger. You know, this is the show that introduced Mark Helgenberger, and uh, Chloe Webb was so fabulous at the beginning of the show. So it, Didn't Broyles write um, Castaway? Oh, did he? He wrote Castaway. Yes, uh, you know what? I'm looking it up now. He wrote Castaway, yeah. Apollo 13. Yeah. And uh, there you go. And yep. Jarhead. And, of course, he's been, you know, consultant <clears throat> on a million and ten Vietnam movies. So that being said, we are almost halfway through the show, and it's time for us to talk about something other than China Beach. Mark, uh, I saw the new Great Gatsby. I'm uh, seeing it uh, in a couple of days. Yeah. Uh, you know, I won't give a review of that film here. I'm, I'm doing that on radio this next week on uh, KPCC on Film Week. Those who subscribe to that podcast will, uh, will hear it. But, um, you know, it is, it, is just, it is just an endless stream of molten uh, bositiousness. And uh, that gets tiresome after a while, but it, uh, it kind of winds up being sort of faithful to the book, kind of. I it guess gets around to it. It sort of gets around to it, but but I had the same feeling with that as I think you did with uh, that, well, which you, is <laughs> the original film adaptation. You know, to prepare, which is like you, you you sort of go like, boy, I really wish somebody would do this right. It's true. To prepare myself, I'm, I'm about to clear my throat. Excuse me. <clears throat> to prepare myself for uh, the, the the basiliciousness of uh, Great Gatsby, I actually went and rewatched the. Uh, 1974 Great Gatsby um, on Blu-ray. It's now on Blu-ray. Well, and, and by the way, I want to just point out what's weird about this. This is a um, this is a, a Paramount Warner Brothers collaboration deal. This is a Paramount film originally, and the DVD was released from Paramount. This is being released on Blu-ray from Warner Brothers because last year 
they announced this weird deal, this weird output deal, where Paramount was going to allow Warner Brothers to release about 600 of their films, their classic library titles, on Blu-ray. Now, we already know that Paramount is, is, is licensing a lot of stuff through Olive. Apparently, uh, Olive Films isn't, it can't delve into the Paramount library fast enough, so they're just going to throw a bunch of these titles out through Warner Brothers as well, which is fascinating. Paramount has no interest in actually servicing their own library. They're just out, out they're licensing to everyone. You hit the mic. I hit the mic. I hit the mic. So anyway, this is the first of that deal, and there's a bunch more coming out later in the summer. But um, this is the first out of this weird Warner Brothers-Paramount collaboration, so carry on. Does, does The Great Gatsby with Robert Redford and Mia Farrow really just uh, resonate on uh, Blu-ray? This movie sucks. <laughs> I, I was shocked, absolutely shocked. First of this thing is misbegotten every frame. It is, just, it is bizarre. First of all, Robert Redford is wrong as Jay Gatsby. Uh, may, you know, maybe Robert Redford might have some mystique to him on the front end, but on the back end, when he's got to like fall apart and Daisy, I love you, Daisy, and yeah. it just it doesn't work. Jack Clayton is te- is a terrible director, and he misdirects all of his actors. Well, Mia Jack- Farrow is way over the top in her decadence and her white it's flowing bad, angelic dress. It's not what Jack Clayton does. You know, he he never should. I mean, this is this was a weird movie for him to do. Uh, Room at the Top is a wonderful movie. And he had a, a pretty solid career, you know, his, uh, even right up to uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes, which I actually really quite liked. Ooh. Well, you know, Something Wicked This Way Comes, by the way, early James Horner score. That's right. I mean, I really quite like that movie. Uh, Jonathan Price, one of his first uh, little ditties yeah. before uh, Brazil. But, uh, yeah, this, he never should have done this movie. It, it, it misses the spirit of the, of the novel. But it, the, it, the script's not bad. Coppola wrote the script. This is, one of, this is one of those early Coppola scripts. That's not bad. That's, well, I mean, the movie's still just dull it's dishwater i just i do you you are never engaged in this movie at all I, it, it is so surprising to me i mean it's not like it doesn't have a uh, good cast yeah it actually has a I, you know come to think of it it has a name cast but it is miscast well it's a little bit like the uh, the lurman film i don't i, I think no, that, you know what but i i think dicaprio can play both sides of that he can, he can. play the, the mysterious can. guy with the mystique and who's who, who's jay gatsby yes, yes and then he can fall apart at the end and and after after about an hour of just having your face just completely thrust into a volcanic burst of uh, art deco uh hip-hop retro kitsch jazz uh mashugana yeah then i guess you can maybe settle into that but uh, good luck yeah well here's the thing i i i have not seen a great gatsby uh, yet as wade has but I can tell you one thing, that the 1974 version... I should have said Michigas. I should have said Michigas instead of Michigana. It's all good. It's, my Yiddish is off. I apologize. Okay. Uh, this movie is just horrible. And um, first time on Blu-ray. And um, yeah. I, the only people who will rent this or buy this are people who are so uh, farsighted. Or is it nearsighted? If it's nearsighted, you can't see close, right? If you're farsighted, uh, you can see things really well far away without glasses. Okay. So if you're farsighted, yeah. you will buy this because you, <laughs> you'll, you'll think Robert Redford looks like uh, uh, you know, yeah. uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Mia Farrow looks like uh, Carrie Mulligan. There you go. Uh, also, if you're a big Gatsby and Fitzgerald uh, maniac, you're going to want to check out The Great Gatsby Midnight in Manhattan, which is a BBC documentary. Uh, that's not bad. Uh, this is, you know, everything now is Gatsby, and not just because of the new movie, but because it is actually the 75th anniversary of the publication of The Great Gatsby. So, uh... Wait, The Great Gatsby was a book? Yeah, believe it or not. <laughs> we wouldn't know that now, would we? So anyway, this just, uh, this is a look at, uh, the life of F. Scott Fitzgerald. And it, it, particularly interesting to me is not how this dovetails with the book, but how this dovetails with, um... 
Midnight in Paris, actually, in which you know Fitzgerald oh, was a character. Midnight in Paris, so yeah. good. Yeah, played by Tom Hiddleston, who now plays uh, Thor, who now, the Thor guy, the Loki on Thor. <laughs> He's Thor's brother, Loki. However, it was not a low-key performance. Oh, Anyway, uh, no, it's really, really interesting. Uh, I So much that I did not know about Fitzgerald, which uh, comes to the fore in this, and uh, it's really, really good. Uh, his relationships to a lot of other famous people, including Hemingway and Hunter S. Thompson, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, really a, quite a good documentary, and uh, I highly recommend it. It's short, uh, so it's it's pretty pretty compressed and sometimes a little superficial, 49 minutes in total, but I really liked it. I, I enjoyed every aspect of it. The Great Gatsby, Midnight in Manhattan from BBC. Um, and then also, real quickly, uh, on the foreign language front, before we get into new movies, is Band of Outsiders, the Godard film from Ooh, Criterion. Hooray! Yay. Awesome. And, of course, it's, better, it's known under its French title, A Band Apart, which is the, ty- the name, you know, that's what Tarantino called his production company after this movie. And uh, this came four years after Breathless. It is a lot more accomplished. It is still uh, a crime film. But it is much more polished. It's, uh, you know, Claude Brasseur and, and Sammy Fry are just terrific in it. And uh, Anna Karina, of course, uh, Godard's wife at the time, also very cool. Um, so it, it just it's a great film, 1964. It's on Blu-ray and uh, DVD, but uh, the Blu-ray is the one you want to get. Just terrific, beautiful black and white, uh, nicely done all the way through. And great Michel Legrand music. Of course, Raoul Coutard's cinematography, well served by the transfer. A lot of great extras here, uh, including excerpts from the documentary La Nouvelle Vague par elle-même, and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff that just, you know, it just goes on and on and on and on. And uh, it's great. So, you know, if you need to be persuaded to get this, you obviously don't know what movie I'm talking about. All right, Mark. New Uh, movies. Yes, new movies. Uh, Guillermo del Toro puts his name on a lot of films that he doesn't direct. And one of them is Mama, and this seemed like a weird film uh, for Jessica Chastain to do. I know that a couple of years ago she did like 75 films, and you know, and they all sort of were released at the same time, which is no fault of anybody's. And, and yet, even though she had all those films released at the same time, we never got sick of her because she's so fantastic and we love her so much. True. Because she's awesome. Yep. And uh, so this is definitely a departure for her. Uh, and you know what? The, this movie probably should have been a lot worse, I have to say. Um, <laughs> it's... It's kind of, you know, boilerplate. Uh, it is, but I really expe- was expecting a lot worse. Uh, it's about these two little girls who they disappear in the woods uh, the day their uh, their mother was murdered, and then they come back, and they're, uh, something still wants to kill them because that's how it goes. Um, I thought the ending was great. I thought even though the screenplay had a lot of contrivances to it and uh, a lot of the beats are familiar, it still kind of worked for me I thought it was really well shot and uh, there's a lot of cool kind of shocks to it Um, so it's actually not so bad I was kind of surprised Blu-ray looks pretty good this is not a super high budget film but all these uh, all these sorts of films from uh, down south way down south are always very stylishly stylishly shot Uh, so anyway good stuff Mama better than you would think certainly better than now, when you when you when you look at the uh, at the uh, the artwork, the, the artwork, you think to yourself, this looks like another one of those horrible straight to DVD or straight to Blu-ray thrillers we always talk about. Yeah, but Mama is is much better. By the way, that that artwork, that kind of uh, sort of creepy, dirty, neo-gothic, slightly desaturated, uh, kind of somewhere between color and black and white photography uh, that looks like it came out of like a depression era photo book. All of that stuff 
it, it owes directly to uh, J Horror and things like The Grudge and, uh, and 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 Ringo. That started all that stuff. Sure. That that's where it all comes from. And by the way, where are, where are all those films now? Like all these South Korean uh, films were coming out. They were so creepy and awesome. Seems like the spigot's been turned off. Well, it kind of ran its course. All those directors decided they wanted to, to do other things. Uh, I'm going to mention a little movie that's been out uh, for a few weeks now, which I just think is absolutely terrific. I expected, I had to cover this thing for radio at the time, and I expected to totally hate this movie. I just thought, oh, gosh, are you kidding me? Another Kasdan coming out with another one of his little crappy nepotistic, you know, indulgences that would never have gotten made if his last name weren't Kasdan. Okay, Jonathan Kasdan, uh, brother of Jake, son of, uh, of, of the, the mighty yes. Lawrence. Uh, go ahead, show me what you got. And you know what? <laughs> it's terrific. This is like the best movie that has had a cast and name on it in over a decade. Wow. Uh, it is just absolutely terrific. And the amazing thing about it is there's no one in this film that you should actually know. I mean, Dylan O'Brien and Britt Robertson and Victoria Justice. Who are these people? Who, who are they, really? Victoria Justice, by the way, is a, uh, she's one of those like teen, teen music queens. I know, but it's like, the, I don't know who these people she's are. So I, don't, I don't watch the Disney I Channel. I say she's a little younger than me, but she's so hot. Well, this, this is she, a... By the way, Wade, she's delicious. Thank you. You're sickening, you're sickening me. The age difference is creeping me out now. The, uh, this is absolutely terrific. Uh, this, is a, this is a teen romance coming-of-age movie that is so charming, so sweet, um, so honest, and it, it, just, it just works. It fires on all cylinders. And I just thought, I've seen this story done so many times wrong that I never imagined it could be done right. You know, you, you see something that becomes a cliche, that becomes a very boilerplate in your head, very formula, and you just sort of write it off. You get very cynical about it. You're like, you know what? It's been done to death. Well, it's only been done to death if it was done right in the first place. And in this case, i got to say, it's never been done right. So it's weird to see a scenario. You know, two young kids, they meet, and they, you know, they're awkward, and they fall in love, and all the complications that arise. And we've seen that done so many times that it took me to see this movie to realize no one's ever done it right. This is the first one. And appropriately, t- appropriately titled the first time. Uh, Britt Robertson, Dylan O'Brien, James Freshville, and Victoria Justice. A terrific young no-name cast who just pulls this off beautifully. And Jonathan Caston, who wrote and directed it. I, uh, I apologize for every nasty thing I've ever said about your family. No, no, no. He, he, he did it. He nailed it. I think this kid's got talent. Uh, I hope he directs his, uh, his energies in the right direction because he's, he's got a lot of great movies in him if he can keep doing movies like this. Well, Wade, what will happen is um, he's going to wind up directing Jack Reacher 2. He's going to oh, take the money no. and run to Jack Reacher 2. Anyway, Jack Reacher is on a Blu-ray this week. And, uh, you know, I have to say, first of all, I, I want to start by saying I love Tom Cruise. I don't care what anybody says. I love Tom Cruise. I think he's awesome. He's the last remaining movie star. He's it. You know, there's very few who can open a film like Tom Cruise. And there is nobody in, in this day and age when it's really all about the, the graphic novel or the character is the star. Tom Cruise is one of the only remaining movie stars left. True. And I think he's great. And Jack Reacher is not one of his best, but I have to say that uh, this is a lean, mean fighting machine. Uh, it's a bit old-fashioned, and it's a, bit, it's a little bit brutal. It is completely enlivened, if not saved, by the inspired, brilliant, unbelievable casting of director Werner Herzog as the bad guy. And how could you not love that? That's pretty cool, actually. It is pretty, absolutely awesome. So I'm not going to say this thing is original. I'm not going to say uh, you haven't seen a thing like this a hundred times before. But um, it, you know what? It's a bit like it's not that good. But you know how like Taken took a genre 
a, a plot line, a story that you've seen a hundred times before, yeah. and somehow made it super, super A-plus fresh. Kind of like what I just talked about with the first time. Yes. Yeah. This takes a plot line and a story that you've seen a hundred billion times and makes it B-minus fresh. That's okay. <laughs> okay, that's wrong with that. I'm good with that. It was directed uh, by Christopher McQuarrie, who wrote uh, won an Oscar for writing Usual Suspects, and uh, so nice. there's definitely some uh, pedigree there. So you know what? It's not so bad. This, this is this is the uh, definition of a good solid rental. Nice, good deal. Well, you know what else is a, a fairly solid rental? Is Pawn, which uh, Anchor Bay dropped into theaters exactly three or four days before they put it out on DVD, which is always a strange sign. And and I understand Anchor Bay, their bread and butter is uh, the the straight to video market, but Honestly, this should have had a little bit more time to sort of breathe in theaters. Uh, it's got a terrific cast. It really does. Uh, I, I just don't know what they. I don't know what they were thinking. But anyway, uh, I mean, you got uh, Forrest Whitaker, Oscar winner, um, Ray Liotta, no slouch, Stephen Lang, uh, Michael Chiklis, uh, Martin Sokus. I mean, this is a you know Nikki Reed. These are these are not slouchy people. It's a decent cast. The movie's called Pawn, and it's basically a. Um, uh, a hostage situation in a diner, and it's a smartly written little. Ooh, that was an interesting face. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, it's a hostage situation in a diner, which is interesting because thank you for the face again. Because uh, you know, you, you, when you're doing a low budget independent film and you have a lot of money that's going out the window for cast, you obviously have to constrain some of your other uh, your other ambitions. And one of those is, well, we got to figure out a way to shoot this mostly in one location so we don't have a ton of company moves and we really don't blow the budget out on logistics and we can't do car chases and all these other you know, explosions and so forth. Great. Hostage situation in a diner. There you go. We're, we're, we're game. And uh, so it, it works the claustrophobia nicely without the film feeling theatrical. Uh, not a great movie. Certainly worth seeing. Certainly deserve more time in theaters. Uh, but there it is. It's, uh, it's on DVD and Blu-ray and a combo pack from Anchor Bay. And I would say if it sounds like your kind of genre, yeah, you know, Forrest Whitaker is terrific in it. And Michael Chiklis is really good. So Aww. if you like them as actors, definitely give it a look. Poor Forrest Whitaker. I know, he right? He won an Oscar. I know, and he's done so little with it. And we sense. sat next to him at the LA Film Critics Awards. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, there's a movie here called Gamer in 3D. Unleash him. Uh, this is a uh, Blu-ray and Blu-ray 3D ultraviolet 2D digital combo uh, pack, and it is just not even the the least bit worth anything. Uh, honestly, what is with Gerard Butler? Seriously, I what, know he why? had a moment. That moment is gone. What? The, what is he has become? Dude. He's like the new Van Damme all Horrible. of a sudden. It's just. He's going to be. He really will be the AFM poster boy in no time. I feel bad for him because he's not horrible. No, he does. I mean, really, it's. It, 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 I keep saying this, but he's taking all these Matthew McConaughey, all the old Matthew McConaughey roles, mostly with romantic comedies. Matthew McConaughey would never have done anything like Gamer 3D. Closest he ever came was um, Reign of Fire, uh, which I like, by the way. Which I, I like too. It's dudes fighting dragons. Give Come me on. a break. Can't beat that. You can't beat that. Come on, <laughs> guys fighting dragons. What, what do you really? What did anyone really expect that movie to be? It's awesome. Come on, it's, it's guys with pecs. It's like, and you know what? I'm, I'm going to read. It's, it's like the Taken of fighting dragon movies. Yeah, a total program. You know what? I'm going to just awesome. say, Gamer 3D. If yes. you're a gamer, this is a 3D movie that's meant for you, starring a guy who, whose career has gone in the toilet. So I'm, now I'm going to talk about Rain of Fire. Uh, it, it, my, I may have told this story before about Rain of Fire, but <laughs> but I was sitting with our good friend Tim when I saw Rain of Fire in the press screening. And Christian Bale is there, you know, he's in the caves, he's chipping away, and he's just flexing his pecs and his biceps and his muscles. And Tim leans over to me and he goes, dude, we got to start working out. 
And then later on, when Matthew McConaughey shows up with the shaved head, is you know, with the military unit running the Marines, and he takes his shirt off before he has that big uh, beefcake fight with Christian Bale, and he is just loked out like he's been working out for a year and a half. Tim leans over to me and he goes, "Dude, you and me and Christian Bale got to start working out." It was a great moment. That's Tim. We love Tim. Uh, Tim Cockshaw, ladies and gentlemen, he's uh, he's another film we critic, uh, and he has he's been on this show on on occasion as well. Whenever I've not been able to be here. Uh, Wade, uh, when you've not been able to be here, the show is broken, which leads me to Broken City. Eesh. That was terrible. Now, speaking of uh, what happened to them, Russell Crowe, uh, he kind of went off the grid a little bit, uh, wanted to rehabilitate himself with Les Mis. Didn't really happen since no. a lot of people uh, were not a fan of his, uh, his vocal abilities, his singing voice. I actually kind of defended his singing voice uh, in the film. But anyway, Broken City is a strange little... It was directed by Alan Hughes, well, one, one, of the, one half of the Hughes brothers, uh, a duo who probably should have done a lot better with their career, since I think they're very talented. Um, they directed, of course, Menace to Society and Dead Presidents, and also The Book of Eli, which was a... The Book of Eli, I have to say, was not a great movie, but I think it had greatness in it, uh, the religious themes and whatnot, which I thought were absolutely fascinating, that they didn't quite have the guts to explore enough. But anyway, uh, Mr. Hughes is the director of Broken City. This is one of those, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, the city is filled with injustice and horribleness and, and uh, an ex-cop seeks revenge. Yeah. He's double-crossed and he's framed and he's those movies to resign. Are, those movies all have the word city in the title and some kind of an adjective uh, like <laughs> broken city, dark city, evil city, no, the only one, city, the only one, I, I'll tell you, crushed city, <laughs> stinky city. You know what you have to watch is, is actually, you know what? Mean city. <laughs> Prince of the City is... Great, yes, you must but watch. That, but Prince that doesn't that doesn't fit the model that I just it described. Doesn't. Yeah, but I have to say, if you have to watch a movie with the with the word "city" in it, yeah. that's about like you know cops and broken cops and a broken system. Well, there's uh, also there's also John Cusack in City Hall. <laughs> yeah, that was terrible. Uh, anyway, this is this is a couple notches above uh, straight to DVD stuff. Yeah, good cast. I mean, Mark Mark Wahlberg and uh, Russell Crowe is in it, and uh, Catherine Zeta Jones is in it. Look, you, you really can't fault the. Uh, mm. The cast, you know, Barry Pepper's in it. Jeffrey Wright, who I always love, is in it. But ultimately, this is uh, you know, kind of a misfire. Did you know that Barry Pepper at one point was supposed to star in Salt, and they just figured uh, there are too many jokes? Good night, everybody. So, uh, you know what? Safe Haven is based on a Nicholas Sparks novel. It is now on Blu-ray and DVD. Okay, th- th- we're done with that one. Uh, seriously, Nicholas Sparks, why do they keep making movies from his books? Uh, oh, I know, I know. You know why, you know why they do? Uh, my mother-in-law loved this movie. Really? Uh, yeah, she loved it. She loved it. Absolutely went nuts for it. Uh, if you love Josh Duhamel, I don't. If you love Julianne Huff, not so much. Uh, you'll love this movie. It's Nicholas Sparks. It's goopy. It's a young romance, pretty people. He's a widower. He's a widower? Josh Duhamel is a widower in this movie? Are you serious? Give me a break. It makes me love him. Uh, and then, you know, she's a woman with a past. He's a widower. It's a novel you buy at the airport to pass your time. And the worst thing about this is it was directed by Lassie Hallstrom. I know. He, did, he, just did, he just resurrected his poor career with Salmon Fishing in the Yemen, a wonderful movie. And then he goes and he does this. Dude, you got tons of money. Stop being so aimless and taking everything that comes your way. Make a good movie again. Make My Life as a Dog 2 or something. I don't care. <laughs> you know, the revenge. Uh, my, my ongoing Doggy's life as a dog. revenge. My life after the dog. I don't know. Just something, anything. Just stop it. 
Um, yeah, you get to, you know, Josh Duhamel's lessons in crabbing on this. Really? Seriously? Stop. Just don't. Go away. Stop it. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate, but uh, there you go. You know, from the author of The Notebook and the director of Dear John, that is supposed to encourage me to want to see this. I, my mother-in-law loved it. it what can I say? Well, it encourages women to want to go see what it. What can I say? Yeah, Something's got to get women to the movies. I guess. I guess. Whatever. You know, Wade, uh, when we were pounding down uh, animated films in anticipation of last year's um, LAFCA voting, I was forced to watch The Rabbi's Cat. And I have to say, everybody loved this movie except me. I just think this thing was annoying. I didn't like the animation, and the cat was annoying. And, uh, you know, it's, it's adapted from a comic book series. And it's one thing to adapt a movie from a graphic novel where the beginning, middle, and end is, is in one work, one novel. But kind of getting all of these, you know, comic book series of the same name into one movie was a little bit much for this film uh, by Johan Safar, who's you know not untalented. I just really did not respond to this like other people did. It's, uh, it's animated. takes place in Algeria in the 30s. Um, the Jewish and Arab and French cultures are all sort of mixed in Algeria at the time. And uh, there's a cat who belongs to a rabbi and, uh, you know, the cat talks and philosophizes and whatnot. And uh, I just did not really um, groove to this movie. But you know what? If you like rabbis and you like cats and you like the word the, you should check out The Rabbi's Cat. Awesome. Uh, I want to go in with a, uh, just make quick mention of some Asian titles here. I, uh, I have not uh, really kind of delved into uh, the martial arts stuff and the Asian stuff in a while. This is a passion of mine, as anybody uh, who's listened to the show for a long time knows. I wrote a Jackie Chan book once. Yeah. You know that? I did. And uh, I am a huge, gigantic, massive fan of Masaki Kobayashi, one of the great Japanese directors of Kobayashi all, of of all time. Amazing director. Just stunning director. Um, and uh, The Human Condition is sort of his, well, I mean, he's made a, he's made a lot of masterpieces, but uh, Human Condition is the, the trilogy, three three-hour-long lo- films of the, loosely based on his experience in World War II. Uh, as a soldier is sort of uh, his, his magnum opus in many respects. It was recently, uh, not too long ago, released by um, Criterion. Finally, after the original uh, image release from years ago, had sort of run its course, which were terrible transfers, by the way. And now, uh, thanks to Criterion, they have brought out um, Masaki Kobayashi Against the System as part of the Eclipse series. This is Eclipse Series 38. I can't believe we're up to that now. And these are all these Kobayashi films that would otherwise never be released here individually, and they have packed four of them into one box set. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, We've got The Thick Walled Room from 1956, I Will Buy You from 1956, Black River from 1956, and The Inheritance from 1962. And uh, these are just... it's It's wonderful to put these alongside the human condition because they all come from roughly the same general period and they're dealing with a lot of the same themes and you can still tell he's still kind of wrestling with uh, World War II and how to get it out of his system. And these are wonderful, wonderful movies. And they, they're d- incredibly different. Three of them, mind you, made in one year. One year he made three of these films. Um, I Will Buy You, by the way. You would take an interest in it. It's about a, uh, a baseball scout. It's a Japanese movie about a baseball scout. I used to like baseball. Then the Mets started playing this season, and then I stopped <laughs> liking baseball. And uh, the uh, the Thick Walled Room is probably the one that was the, uh, the the biggest deal here because it is specifically with respect to war. It's about Japanese soldiers and war crimes, and it is uh, it is really a great film. Black River um, is a kind of a romance that deals in the in the crime world. Four great films. You got to get these if you're if you're a fan of Kobayashi. 
some Jackie Chan stuff to talk about. I normally suggest that for early Jackie Chan stuff, uh, fans definitely go through the import system and, and order them from uh, Hong Kong importers. I definitely would say that with respect to Dragon Lord, which is being released from the Miramax library, first time on Blu-ray through Echo Bridge. Uh, Miramax acquired all of the uh, these old Jackie Chan films around about the time that um, New Line broke Jackie Chan into the United States for the first time successfully with Rumble in the Bronx. And then suddenly, all these old Jackie Chan movies that nobody had bothered to distribute because they were still operating on the, uh, the assumption that Jackie Chan had no audience here, which was based on the big brawl, uh, they, Miramax went and snatched a bunch of stuff up, like Super Cop and a bunch of other things, and then never really properly did them. They just were trying to get on the bandwagon. So uh, the Dragon Lord is an earlier Jackie Chan movie uh, from 1982, and uh, it's in English here, and that's the problem. It needs to be in the original language with subtitles. I'm severely disappointed. It's a terrific film, but this is not the way to watch it. It's certainly not the way to watch it on Blu-ray. Uh, so I would I would say get this thing imported. This is just for people who you know don't want to have to read subtitles and don't really care about Jackie Chan, which would be unfortunate. Um, slightly better is Police Story and Police Story Two in a double feature from uh, Shout Factory, and this is through an arrangement with Fortune Star. And uh, this, thankfully, has Cantonese language and English subtitles, and uh, for that I am grateful. Uh, not the best transfers. I think you get better transfers with better extras out of the imports. However, if you just want to see these movies and you want to get them at an affordable price and a double feature on a Blu-ray that is, uh, that, that's decent enough, Police Story is an amazing film. Police Story 2 is a, almost an equally amazing film. Uh, you know, Police Story has like the legendary mall stunt where he yeah, slides he down. goes down the pole. Goes, goes down the pole and winds up with you know, glass shards in his, in his hands, and you see that in the outtakes at the end. Police Story 2 has one of my favorite fight scenes. The playground fight scene in Police Story 2 is just hands down one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in terms of choreography and uh, execution. It is pretty awesome. Magnificent. And, uh, you know, uh, Maggie Chung playing his girlfriend May in these films is just great. Always great. So uh, cannot get enough of these movies. Jackie directed both of them himself. I wish he'd direct again and do a little less on the acting front. But uh, I, I would recommend this. Guardedly recommend this double feature. And then we also have a double feature of Shanghai Noon and Shanghai Nights, two of his American films that he made with Owen Wilson, which I think actually in many respects are better than the Rush Hour films. I actually kind of enjoy these. I especially enjoy the fact that Donnie uh, Yen shows, who's, who's like the new, Jack, in, his, in his 40s, Jack, uh, Donnie Yen, who made movies like with Jet Li back in the 80s and 90s. Now he's the new Jackie. He's got the bigger career now in Hong Kong. It's just I, ridiculous. He shows up as, as a bad guy in, uh, in Shanghai. I thought, the uh, first one was, I thought the first one was very energetically directed. It was like, what's yeah. the guy's name, Tom Fay or something? Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know what happened to him. I thought it was really. Uh, I thought it was really. It, it was sort of like Gore Verbinski light. There was like and a David, lot of fun camera moves. David and, Dobkin directed the second one. Yeah. Well, okay. Okay. David Dobkin, the worst. Uh, yeah, but but you know both of these films are fun, and it's a nice mm-hmm. uh, it's a nice double feature with a lot of great uh, extras on it, deleted scenes and featurettes and all that kind of stuff, and the and the transfers are decent. So uh, you know this is this is uh, these were originally Touchstone films back when there was such a thing. Not bad. And then lastly, before we launch into some catalog stuff, a couple of uh, Bruce Lee double features. One is The Way of the Dragon and Game of Death. The other is The Big Boss and Fist of Fury. Uh, these are also out from Shout Factory, courtesy of, the, courtesy of their arrangement with Fortune Star, which hopefully will yield a lot more really cool stuff. The Fortune Star library uh, has a lot of great titles in it, so I'm hoping that they really kind of go to town with Shout Factory and get a lot of those out on Blu-ray now, 
which uh, were previously released only on uh, on uh, DVD. Now these are only on DVD, so here's hoping that there are Blu-rays to follow. But you know what? Um, uh, Fist of Fury is a is a, a legendary film. Big Boss, a uh, legendary film, and uh, Way of the Dragon, not so legendary. Um, but Game of Death, super legendary because it's got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in it. So uh, definitely, I would recommend these for any Bruce Lee fan. But you might want to wait until they wind up on Blu-ray. All right. That being said, we got a few minutes left, Mark. Um, let's go to some uh, some library titles. Um, one that I think is really worth mentioning is One Hour Photo. Comes in a wonderful Blu-ray edition now with a, uh, a sleeve on it. A little cardboard sleeve. It's very nicely put together. I think this is a terrific film. I think it's an incredibly underrated film. And uh, Ooh, I like this movie. That's I love good. this movie. You know, uh, Mark fr- Romanek directed it. Actually, a, a, a an acquaintance of mine, friend. Well, it was his. It was in his apartment that uh, Ray edited Schlock, our documentary Schlock: The Secret History of American Movies. His friend Mike was one of the principal sound editors on this. Really? Yeah. With and this was Mark Romanek's directing debut. You know, coming out of music videos and, and all that jazz. And it's a terrific thriller. Robin yep. Williams is the creepiest guy here. And what's nice is, it's a psychological thriller that doesn't go where you think it's going to go. He's not like an evil guy. He's just a tweaked guy, and it's much more psychological than anything else, and I totally appreciate it. I think it's a wonderful movie. It's a beautiful, beautiful transfer, which I don't always say about Fox films. I think Fox just craps these things out too often, but uh, they did a really good job on this. The colors are sharp, and the uh, the sound is really, really crisp, and Blu-ray does a beautiful job with the sound. Very, very nuanced and detailed uh, sound scheme in this, the sound design. And some great extras. There's a commentary with Romanek and Robin Williams that is really, really informative. Uh, excellent, excellent commentary, which is increasingly rare these days. And then you get like a, a tech scouting thing with multi-angle vignettes, which is a little gimmicky. Uh, but you get rehearsals and other featurettes, uh, the cinema, a featurette from Cinemax. Really good. Yep, I agree. Charlie Rose show, by the way, too. A little thing on Charlie Rose, which I haven't seen as an extra for quite a while. Uh, yep, one hour photo recommended. That's a nice little uh, surprise, folks. Go rent that. Uh, next, we have on the other end of the other end of the quality spectrum, we have from the good folks at BCI something they are packaging under the Spring Break Film Festival banner. These are uh, four DVDs with sort of these uh, pale pink covers that look very uh, kind of like uh, you know seventies uh, cheese ball drive-in theater looking uh, you know artwork. We have four movies here. Only one of them is even worth it. Uh, but we'll start with Getting It On. Now, Getting It On is a film where if you grew up in the day, and th- now we're talking 1983, these were the films that, like, if you were, like, 16 years old and you were first starting to go see movies, th- th- this is the stuff you love. This is, like, all that sub-porky stuff. And Getting It On stars a bunch of people you've never heard of. And he's a high school freshman. He's got a huge crush on the girl next door. So, um, you know, it's about uh, the, the guy's father starting a, uh, a VHS business so we can, you know, videotape his crushes without them knowing it. And that's getting it on. It's uh, got a lot of women uh, bending over on the track. High school, high school, <laughs> summer School is about uh, summer school, and it has nobody you've ever heard of because that's what these movies were. Uh, this one is about uh, summer school. And uh, this one has terrible acting and uh, no action, and it's a bunch of people on the beach, and uh, it's a terrible script, but it's summer school. What do you want me to say? These movies Yuck. are terrible. I, I mean, I, re- I remember these movies. Rock and Road Trip it, it has less sort of like uh, you know beach blanket sex in it, and uh, it's about this uh, band. This girl is a, uh, has a band called Cherry Suicide, and they're uh, in a van, and they're trying to... They're 
on Whatever. a road trip, and it's just a bunch of crap. Yeah. Nobody in it you've ever heard of. Now, the, the only one, the, the only one that if you're of a certain age, you would have heard of is a movie called Homework. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> now, th- this, this brings back memories. Because Not really, uh, but seemed like the right thing to say. Uh, because Homework featured Joan Collins as the kind of the sex pop. Joan Collins. Uh, Wasn't she in a Star Trek episode? She was. She was <laughs> in one of the best Star Trek episodes. She was Edith. She was Edith Keeler. And you know what, Wade? Edith yeah. Keeler must die. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, it's, about, it's about this uh, senior in high school who gets lessons in schoolwork and lessons in sex, ba-bam, from um, Joan Collins, who, by the way, back then was uh, kind of a sexy lady. I mean, now it's like kind of a joke, but uh, but also the uh, the cast here is the best of the bunch. It's got uh, Carrie Snodgrass, um, who is, of course, the greatest ever in um, Mommy Dearest. Yeah. Uh, Betty Thomas, who wound up directing uh, the Howard Stern film. Betty Private Thomas, Parts. wasn't she on Hill Street Blues? She was on Hill Street Blues, yes, too. And uh, Wings Hauser, who had the coolest name in the Doesn't he have a son named Cole? He does? Yeah. Anyway, of all these, um, go ahead and rent homework. The rest are just really, really bad. But they kind of know they're bad, and that's the point. And that's the fun of it. All right. And to try and wrap a few things up here real quickly, um, Breaking Glass has come out with a fascinating three-title box set that I never in my life would have imagined uh, would happen. Now, this is volume two of their Henry Jaglum collection, and I, I never imagined that volume two would come out. I'm sort of amazed there was a volume one. I uh, didn't catch volume one, by the way, but uh, they, they got the Henry Jaglum thing going over there at Breaking Glass. And they have a deal with Rainbow, which is Henry Jaglum's company. And uh, so Henry Jaglum movies are, are on, on they're, they're coming, folks. And they may even wind up on Blu-ray, which would be just weird. Henry Jaglum, Blu-ray in one breath. I am not a Henry Jaglum fan. I'm going to admit that. Henry Jaglum. Henry Jaglum is so too, annoying. Here, here let, me, let me do one of those. What do you call those uh, analogies? A mathematical analogy. Henry Jaglum is to Orson Welles as Ed Wood was to Bela Lugosi. Uh, if, if you've seen Ed Wood, you understand that completely. Henry, uh, Henry Jaglum, perfectly nice guy, but he's just, he's just sort of an insufferable neo-artist who makes these movies where nothing is ever really scripted. It's all kind of improvised, and uh, actors love it because they get to emote. Uh, he, he, he thinks he's like this, this female-friendly director auteur type who knows yeah. how women think, and it's just... Yeah, I, rem- I, I just remember sitting in, in his film Baby Fever wanting to gouge my eyes out. Didn't, didn't I see that with you? No, did I see no, that with No, no, you didn't see that with me. You, you, you would have been, I would have murdered the first person sitting next to me just to, just to escape. So you would have been me. It would have been you. Volume two is uh, three comedies, Sitting Ducks, Can She Bake a Cherry Pie, and New Year's Day. And, uh, you know, they're all... <laughs> They're all kind of the same thing. Uh, Can She Bake a Cherry Pie? I I found interesting only because I'm watching Karen Black in it, who is quite good in it. And uh, Karen Black, as anybody knows who's been following the news, is in bad shape. Uh, She's she's been trying to raise money for her cancer treatments, and it's uh, it's extremely sad. It makes me very, very sad. Also interesting is that uh, Milos Forman shows up as an actor in New Year's Day. Uh, not sure how or why that happened. It's a very curious thing. You sort of watch. It's not, it's not like uh, um, Werner Herzog in Jack Reacher. It really is. You sort of go, what? Where did he come from and why is he in this movie? I don't understand. Anyway, David Duchovny makes a little more sense. Uh, anyway, 
So that's a three-pack from uh, of Henry Jaglum movies from Breaking Glass. I, again, you know, if you're a Henry Jaglum fan, go to town. And then we also have a bunch of other uh, Echo Bridge Miramax releases, other than the uh, the Jackie Chan movie mentioned previously. Uh, a couple of them, uh, well, yeah, I'd say three of them noteworthy. One is Heaven with Kate Blanchett and Giovanni Ribisi. This is a, a, a movie that never really had a fair shot. It's so, so underrated. I, think I, this I is, love them both. They're great. This is a Tom Tickfer movie based on the first of an intended uh, trilogy that Christoph Kieslowski and Christoph Peschewitz, who did Three Colors, Blue, White, and Red, and, of course, the Decalogue, never got around to making because Kieslowski died. His next trilogy after Blue, White, and Red was going to be Heaven, Hell, and Purgatory. And uh, they've only done two of them. Heaven and Hell have been made. Purgatory probably will never be made. And uh, Heaven, I believe, is the only one that was actually scripted. Uh, Hell and Purgatory were not scripted. And um, this, this, so that Tom Tickford, you know, got a crack at uh, kind of stepping into the shoes of Christoph Kieslowski. And it's a good segue. You know, Tickford is a very smart director. He's a very sensitive director and really handles the material beautifully. It's an extremely unusual story. You know, Kate Blanchett is a British teacher who's in, in Turin, Italy, and winds up getting involved in a situation um, uh, that gets her into legal trouble, and Giovanni Ribisi is a police officer who does something very unusual. I will tell you nothing other than that, but it's a really cool existential allegory, beautifully made. Not the greatest DVD, uh, Blu-ray transfer, but the movie needs to be seen. If you haven't seen it, you've got to see it, and it's better to see it on even a flawed Blu-ray than not. Fortress uh, with Christopher Lambert is one of those uh, kind of cheesy... It's Christopher Lambert. It's one of those cheesy early 90 movies uh, that were all sort of trying to jump onto the sci-fi bandwagon uh, where everything was, you know, like they're all kind of the unholy children of RoboCop. Anyway, uh, look, this wound up yielding a film, Fortress 2, that my wife worked on. She was working for the producer at the time. The producer's are, uh, still a good friend of ours. I'm not going to say anything bad about this. It's kind of a cheesy movie, but it's sort of enjoyable at the same time. Uh, the Grifters, great movie. Terrific. And uh, I, I love praising this movie because it's, it's one of the best Stephen Freer's movies. It's Annette Bening at her very best. It's John Cusack at his very best. It is a wonderful, wonderful adaptation of uh, the Jim Thompson novel that a lot of people probably never really thought would, could be adapted properly. Great adaptation by Donald Westlake. And I am uh, very happy to also point out that uh, this movie was produced uh, by not only by Martin Scorsese, but by Robert Harris, the famed archivist whom we have interviewed on this show on occasion. This is one of his efforts, not as an archivist, but as a producer. And then Steven Soderbergh's Full Frontal, which we will end the show on today. Uh, a good film, a fascinating film, a movie that has uh, one of the most bizarre performances I have ever seen in it. Uh, well, it's got a, a Nicky Katz little theatrical Hitler thing is just outrageously funny. Uh, really a fascinating kind of... Um, this is one of his For Me movies as opposed to his For Them movies. That's right. Very and, true. And um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a really interesting kind of... It's not one of those... Um, it's not like Magnolia where all these lives really connect. It's really just kind of a, a potpourri of lives and experiences uh, of people who are really only connected by a birthday party. But other than that, it's just a nice little sort of Los Angeles tapestry movie. A little bit experimental, quite quite interesting, quite good. Uh, again, not a great D a Blu-ray transfer, but certainly good enough and a great cast. It includes, among others, you know, David Duchovny, Nikki Cat, Catherine Keener, uh, Julia Roberts, David Hyde Pierce, Blair Underwood. It's really good. Um, and the reason I want to end on that is, uh, you know, Soderbergh, uh, Mark, gave that uh, keynote speech in San Francisco for... Uh, 
the uh, was it San Francisco Film Society thing? Correct. Whatever it is. It was called the Society thing, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but it's a hell of a speech, and you can see it online. Uh, it was not supposed to be recorded or video uh, recorded, but it, of course, was, and you know it was transcribed. And now you can see it in a million places online. And Soderbergh goes to town on Hollywood and takes everyone to task. And I, for one, found that to be enormously cathartic. I agree, and everything he says is totally true. And I feel bad for him that this dream that he had of you know gathering a bunch of great filmmakers to make the films that they want to make yeah. is never really going to happen. I think that's what he kind of wanted to do with Section 8, yeah. but never really happened. But it, you know what? It, it, I'm thinking maybe that speech is going viral enough that it'll have, a, it'll have an impact. I don't know if it'll have an immediate impact, but I've got to believe that if you're one of those executives who is sort of called out in the film for being an idiot and a douchebag... Uh, no, you're not going to change your ways because, you know, you have stock options and a job writing on this and you really don't care what a jerk people think you are. I mean, you know, if that were, if, if that mattered, there would be no, no attorneys in the world. But um, I, I have to believe that on some level, this is going to inspire somebody to do something that will make a difference. Well, maybe not at the studio level, but definitely, hopefully it will energize a bunch of young filmmakers and say, you know what, I'm going to make a good film. That yeah. means something to me, not just to sell out and make a superhero movie. I hope so. All right. Well, with that, we are done, and we'll be back next week. We will?